Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this evening's school board meeting. Um, it is January 9th. Uh, at 7.01, and we're pleased to have everyone here. This is the one and only night, in case you're wondering why I'm starting the meeting, um, the one and only night every year that the superintendent gets to lead off the meeting. And the reason for that, for those of you that are joining us from school, it's a governance lesson. We do not have a chair of the school board at the moment. And the reason that we don't have a chair is that we are in a reorganization phase, um, and we will vote on a new chair this evening, but our last chair has since rolled off and um, spent and, and texted us from out at dinner tonight, enjoying her time. But um, we are very excited this evening to start our meeting. So um, with that, I'd like to call this meeting to order. Ms. Goodell, would you please call the roll? Yes. Dr. Anderson? Here. Dr. Gould? Here. Ms. Henderson? Here. Ms. Murphy? Here. Dr. Ortiz? Here. Ms. Silverman? Here. And Ms. Tice? Here. Thank you. And would you all please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. Um, moving on to 1.04 in the agenda, um, adoption of the agenda, I'd like to seek um, seek a uh, motion to approve the agenda tonight as presented. Ms. Silverman, do I have a second? Ms. Tice, uh, sorry. Uh, Ms. Tice, um, all those in favor say yes. yes. All those opposed, abstentions, motion carries. The, the agenda is adopted. All right, so um, this is my one and only order of business before I turn it over to whomever the new chair is going to be. Um, our next business item is that we are going to elect a chair. Um, we're going to follow a process where I will um, accept nominations from uh, the dais, and from there um, we will close nominations, then we'll take a vote, and once that vote is complete, at that point I will hand my precious gavel over to uh, the new chair. So uh, are there any nominations from the dais for chair? Ms. Silverman. Uh, yes, I would like to nominate Tay Gould. Um, if I may, uh, Superintendent, I would like to just say a couple sentences about working with Dr. Gould. Um, Dr. Gould, you have been a tremendous friend and ally and have provided wonderful service to this board, to the schools, and to the community over the past two years. And I have so much faith that you can continue with that leadership as our chair. And I wholeheartedly support you for this position. Um, while we have not always seen eye to eye, I really appreciate the respect that you give for differing viewpoints. And um, I look forward to serving under you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other nominations from the floor? Seeing none, we'll go ahead and close the nominations. We'd like to take a roll call vote this evening uh, for Tate Gould uh, for chair of the school board. Uh, Ms. Goodell, would you please call the roll? Uh, yes. Dr. Anderson? Yes. You, you, yep. you just repeat the name. Uh, Tate Gould. Dr. Gould? Tate Gould. Ms. Henderson? Tate Gould. Ms. Murphy? Dr. Ortiz? Ms. Silverman? Take Gould. And Ms. Tice? Take Gould. Thank you. Congratulations, Dr. Gould. The motion passes unanimously. <laughs> I will happily hand the gavel over to you. <laughs> Get 
Thank you, and I appreciate the, uh, the support of my colleagues. Uh, I am looking forward to serving uh, this board as chair, and I'll do my best of my abilities. And hopefully the rain is not a foreshadowing of bad luck, but good luck as it is in weddings, um, but I'm looking forward. So the next item of business is 2.02, the election of vice chair. Um, and we will follow the same process that we use for the election of chair. I'll accept nominations of names for vice chair. After all nominations have been made, a roll call vote will be taken with each board member, uh, naming the person for whom he or she is voting. A nominee must receive a majority of four of the votes to be elected, and the roll call will be repeated. Uh, until a vice chair is elected. And I'd like to open the floor for nominations for vice chair. Dr. Anderson? I'd like to nominate Kathleen Tice. Um, I think the community knows that she's been a, a familiar face in the schools um, with uh, four kids. She's had a lot of experience in the schools. Um, and she's been a consistent and constant advocate uh, for education in Falls Church City. Um, and I would expect her hard work and collaborative nature to kind of flow through in her work as the vice chair. All right. Thanks, sir. Thank you, Dr. Anderson, for the nomination of Kathleen Tice as vice chair. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Okay. All right, hearing none, uh, Ms. Tice has been nominated as the vice chair for the Falls Church City School Board, and I'll now close the nominations, and we'll take a roll call vote for person by person. Ms. Cadell? Uh, yes, Dr. Anderson. Kathleen Tice. Dr. Gould. Kathleen Tice. Ms. Henderson. Kathleen Tice. Ms. Murphy. Dr. Ortiz. Kathleen Tice. Ms. Silverman. Kathleen Tice. And Ms. Tice. Kathleen Tice. Thank yes. you. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> I look forward to Thank serving you. you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to working with you. And you mentioned good luck on wedding days. It did pour on my wedding day, and we're 18 years in, so maybe this is good luck after all. There we go. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, the next item of business is item 2.03. I would like to seek a motion establishing a date, time, and place of the regular school board meeting. Uh, Dr. Ortiz. Thank you, Chair Gould. I move that the, the Falls Church School Board establish a schedule of regular meetings on the second Tuesday of each month beginning at 7 p.m. in the council chambers at City Hall and establish a schedule of work sessions on the fourth Tuesday of each month beginning at 7 p.m. at the Central Office Conference Room, Falls Church. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Is there a second? I second. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Henderson. Uh, are there all those in favor say yes? Yes. yes. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Thank you. Motion is passed. All right. The next item of business is item 2.04, and I would seek a motion for the appointment of school board clerk. Uh, I move that the school board appoint Martha Goodell clerk of the school board beginning January 2024. Thank you, Ms. Henderson. Is there a second? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All those in favor say yes. 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 Any opposed? All right, the motion passes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Goodell. Uh, I think we all realize the amount of work that you do, uh, and we don't even see half of it. Um, but we are very excited about this role. And uh, if anyone else was nominated, then we would have risen up and changed that. So uh, that would have been democratic. So uh, thank you very much. The motion passes. Next, we have item 2.05, resolution authorizing school board officials to sign warrants. Dr. Noonan. 
you want to summarize what this resolution does? Sure. Um, what this resolution does is it provides me um, as your agent, essentially, and Kristen Michael is the chief operating officer, um, to examine and approve claims and sign warrants uh, and provide payment uh, for certain things. And then also um, it gives us an opportunity um, to uh, um, to discharge the duties associated with this in the form of um, $100,000 um, bonding and uh, insurance premiums as well. So essentially it's, it's allowing us to sign and to pay bills. Okay, thank you, Dr. Neer. Are there any questions about this resolution? Okay, seeing none, I would like to welcome a motion. Dr. Ortiz. Uh, Chair Gould, I uh, be it resolved that under the provision of section 222.1-122B of the Code of Virginia, Peter Noonan, superintendent, is appointed agent and Kristen Michael, chief operating officer, is appointed deputy agent to examine and approve claims and to sign warrants for the payment thereof. Be it further resolved that the agent and deputy agents shall furnish a surety bond conditioned upon the faithful performance and discharge of the duties assigned to each such official under section 22.1-122B in the amount of $100,000 and the premium therefore shall be paid out of school board funds. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All those in favor, or, um, is there a second? Ms. Tice, thank you. All those in favor say yes. Yes. Any of those opposed? All right, seeing none, thank you. The motion passes. All right. Uh, our next item of business is 2.06, and I would like to seek a motion to approve a designee to attend school board meeting in absence of superintendent. Dr. Anderson? I move that the school board designate Chief Operating Officer Kristen Michael to attend school board meetings in the absence of the superintendent, effective through December 31st, 2024. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Is there a second? Thank you, Ms. Murphy. All right. All those in favor say yes. 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 Any opposed? All right. Thank you. The motion passes. Ms. Michael, I did hear a more fervent uh, yes from the school board, so we are very excited that you're going to be in that role. We look forward to working with you. To be clear, I've never missed a school board meeting. Just <laughs> make sure, knock on wood. <laughs> good point, good point. So, all right, the final uh, item for this uh, is the organizational section is item 2.07. It's the approval and adoption of the 2022 School Board Code of Civility. And I would welcome a motion from one of my board colleagues. Ms. Tice. I move that the school board approve the adoption of the 2024 School Board Code of Civility as presented. Thank you, Ms. Tice. Is there a second? Ms. Henderson, thank you. Um, okay, all those in favor say yes. yes. All right, any opposed? All right, thank you. The motion passes. All right. Thank you. That include, uh, concludes the organizational section of this evening's meeting, and we'll now move on to section three of our spotlight. Dr. Noonan? Yes, thank you, Chair Gould. Congratulations. Um, tonight we have an opportunity to uh, see a, a film that was put together by uh, our crack uh, communications group and John Brett, and along with FCC TV, um, from our um, ribbon cutting for the sustainable um, energy at the high school. It goes beyond just um, the solar roof. As you know, we, we did build a building that was net zero ready, is also geothermal, and this sort of was the 
uh, I don't want to say the icing on the cake, but it was kind of a nice opportunity for us to come together as a community um, and uh, cut the ribbon on the new solar arrays at the high school. And this speaks to our sustainability uh, at the high school. So, Mr. Brett. It was all smiles at Meridian High School's ribbon cutting ceremony for the newly completed solar array on the school's rooftops. But this is not just a celebration of new solar panels. It marks the end of a six year long journey of building the new school. Though the students moved into the school in 2021, certain odds and ends of the building, like the solar array, have continued to be built. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that with the addition of the solar arrays um, on the roofs, that this was the final piece of the puzzle. With 818 individual panels, this is now the largest solar array in the city of Falls Church. These panels will generate an estimated 13 gigawatt hours of energy over the next 25 years, which is enough electricity to power over 300 homes for a year. But the division's dreams of a greener future do not stop there. Um, we are moving forward with a great expectation and hope of being net zero. Um, the geothermal system that we have that's associated with the high school has been pumping since 2020, um, and we're confident that there's more to come. Meridian High School is now a LEED Gold certified building, and the commitment to this sustainable infrastructure is making connections in the classroom. Meridian student Gia Khan spoke to attendees about seeing the abstract concepts talked about in her classrooms translate into concrete solutions right in front of her eyes. After taking energy supply and currently being enrolled in the energy demand class at Meridian High School, being able to see what I have studied materialize into tangible advancements on our campus is both validating and, and encouraging. I'm honored to be a part of a community that not only values academic discourse, but actively transforms knowledge into meaningful, meaningful, sustainable practices. But this day was not one of just speeches and thank yous. So earlier today, um, we had about 50 students, as I mentioned, participate in a solar education expo. Well, you're already thinking about that. That's great. Um, we work in energy. We think about this a lot. Students got to participate in presentations and workshops put on by SunTribe to help them connect the real-world application of these solar panels to their existing education about energy and sustainability. We have a lot of different people from a lot of different parts of the industry. So you're gonna get a snapshot from the very, very beginning of a solar project to the very end. Students right now are working on a solar circuit challenge and really they've been given a variety of components of a circuit. So motors, wires, and mini solar panels. And their challenge is to make different circuits to serve different purposes and power different loads. So I guess it's the... The Solar Education Expo was just the beginning of the panel's integration into the education students receive at Meridian High School. Students will soon be able to interact with a new sustainability dashboard that will allow them to access the energy output data of the solar panels in real time. Teachers will also be using the panels as real-life examples of the concepts they teach in their classes. 
So we know that our folks here are very innovative and that it'll offer um, opportunities, especially in CTE or career and technical education courses, um, to really expand. So as we learn and we grow and we continue um, to expand our offerings, I imagine that this building will be continue to be used as a teaching tool. We use the building a lot um, as kind of uh, opportunity to examine kind of best practices in kind of sustainability and design in the 21st century. So now having these kind of right on the roof is going to be another talking point that I'll be able to have with the students. Ray Rohrer believes that FCCPS is ahead of the curve, being one of the few school divisions in the state offering the newer energy curriculum. But he still has his eyes on what more can be done. And then for next year, we'll be revising it slightly to uh, expand a little bit more into the other career clusters like agriculture, uh, environmental science, natural resources as well. And that will also allow us to integrate some of the other facilities like the aquatics room and the vivarium into that process as well. But the teachers aren't the only ones who have caught this sustainability bug. Um, we think that it's really important that our school is taking a lot more action this year and especially adding solar panels and we think that it's super important for us to um, be focused on sustainability. Students are encouraged to integrate sustainable practices into everything they do, including school clubs where these two help pack meals for those in need. We're actually both in Hand to Hunger and that one, it's, it's not focused on sustainability, but we try and incorporate it as much as possible. So I think that's really important too, and just finding the different ways and strategies that you can make your club sustainable. FCCPS has countless intelligent people and institutions to thank for dedicating themselves to completing not only the solar array, but this entire LEED Gold certified school. And to those involved in the thousands of hours spent making this vision a reality, it was worth the effort. Meridian High School in particular, where the solar school transition is beginning here in Falls Church, stands out as an example of what America's schools could become. Thank you, Mr. Brett, for putting that together. Um, and it is, it's a good reminder, I think sometimes we do take for granted the uh, innovation of this school, and it's really exciting and very, I think it's very proud whenever we have visitors come through the school, how much we can brag about where the school is. I think the last comment was very uh, indicative of where schools can become or where they can go and we're already there. So it's really exciting. I think we're all appreciative of uh, Dr. Noonan, what you and the previous school boards and the city council have done. I know that was a long time, but it was uh, on time and, and under budget and that's an impressive uh, uh, marker for this high school. So really appreciate the, the opportunity to learn more. All right. <clears throat> All right, so uh, actually we're going to go uh, to section four. We're going to go to uh, recognitions and reports. Um, item 4.01 is recognition of fall student athletes. So back to you, Dr. Noonan. Yes, thank you, Chair Gould. Um, tonight we have some very special guests with us. Um, we have a, a team of field hockey women who captured the hearts and the minds of the City of Falls Church this uh, earlier this year in the fall. Um, this is a team that was a thrill to watch from the beginning to the very end. Um, and, you know, as a, as a former high school principal myself and having been a coach, um, you know, I, I would see in the morning announcements, you know, they're 3-0, and they're 4-0, and they're 5-0, and and I would think, okay, we're not into division play yet. I'm going to let it ride and see how things work out. Anyway, long story short, this team goes undefeated all the way to the state final, and I, I couldn't be more proud of them. So tonight... Tonight, we want to we wanna honor our field hockey women for their incredible 
um, run to the state final championship game here in Virginia, um, but also congratulate you on um, being, um, being the example of what it means to put in hard work, to show grit, to fight through, uh, fight through tough times. Um, I was standing on the sideline and, and um, young Ladke comes off and she's got, she's bleeding all over herself and she goes to the trainer and she says, I'm, I, I said, are you all right? She goes, yeah, I just gotta get back in. And I mean, these girls just got through, uh, got through this work in a way that was really extraordinary. Um, and right down to the end, and I wanna take just a second also to thank um, Claire and Dons um, because Claire and Dons did us a solid this year and um, did share uh, the back room for us to be able to view um, not only the state semifinal, but also the state final. Um, and we want to thank them for hosting us. But um, tonight really is a night to celebrate um, this incredible uh, group of young women, um, to get a picture taken with them, um, with all of us up in front and them in front, um, and just say thank you for, for your incredible work and, and your service to this community um, and for capturing all of our, our hearts uh, as we watched you achieve really extraordinary levels. So congratulations to all of you. Come on up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys stay up here? Yeah, we'll stay together? Yeah. We're still closer. We can move this if you want. Okay. Okay. Let's closer. Sean, come up here. Thank you. Come on, Sean. <laughs> you can. Yeah. What's that? It is a little warm in here, yeah. I don't think this room is so close to so many bodies. Laura, you want to get Sean right next to you there? Yeah. yeah. All right, so we got to balance this out. This is the middle. So we're going to balance all the, all the shorties. We've lost Subal. We've got Amy. That's right. Thank you for keeping the uh, height average down, Amy. Yeah. Uh, we'll just do two rows. Okay. Oh, you can do that if you want. It's up to you. I want to get in here. All right. How do we look? Are we even somewhere? Probably not. Yeah. I think we're kind of lucky. Yeah, we, we, we're a little. We look like I feel like I'm no just looking. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're taking the picture right now. Yeah. Better start looking. Her chair, and I didn't put it back, so I'm a little sensitive to it. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Can I have a few words? Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Noonan, and thank you to the school board uh, for the invitation and opportunity to share about our season. Uh, the energy that you are talking about, I, it just was like unbelievable. I just like each time I'm like, okay, okay. I'm preparing the like, it's okay if we lose, like it's okay, we, this, the, uh, loss is good. Uh, this. It, brings character and it just wasn't happening and I just was like okay just keep it rolling um, so it was um, a very very memorable season for myself as well I've never been part of an undefeated team before and I very much um, consider myself part of this team even though I wasn't on the field playing with you all 
Um, the Meridian Varsity Field Hockey Team had a banner season and made history in a variety of ways. We had our best overall season record and reached the state finals for the first time. Here is a list of some of the team's many and impressive accomplishments. We remained undefeated until our last game, which was the state championship game. We started preseason on the very first day that we that VHSL lets us, which is July 31st this year, and we played up until the very last day that field hockey, high school field hockey, is played for VHSL and the championship game. Um, it was an unbelievable season, and um, we ended the season with 21 wins and one loss. The team scored a new high of 84 goals, which is an average of 3.8 goals per game. And if you're not familiar with field hockey, it's not a high-scoring game, typically. It's usually a 1-0 nail-biter, um, but these girls uh, just kept scoring. And it wasn't just one or two, it was eight of them or nine of them were um, on the board for scoring. And so we beat teams 6 nothing, and they were teams that I mentally had gone in and coached saying, this is going to be a tough game, but... If we play well, we have fun, and work together, I think we can win. And that is what happened over and over again. Um, we finished first in the district, first in the region, and second in the state. It was our first time winning the regional tournament, our fifth time playing in the state tournament, and the first time playing in the state semifinals, and first time playing in the state final game. Uh, the program is 10 years old, so it's not um, it's not too old, but we are definitely putting um, Meridian on the on the on the map. Um, we had 18 shutouts, meaning eight of our 22 games we kept the other team scoreless. Um, we had 10 goals scored on us all season. And nine players received all district honors, seven players received all region honors, four players received first team all state honors, and we've never had somebody receive first time. It was our first time receiving the first team all state accolades. Um, so that to have four was just um, amazing. Um, it was memorable, successful, and high-achieving season, to say the least, and I couldn't be prouder of each player and what they accomplished as a team. As coaches, we emphasized working hard, playing together as a team, and most importantly, having fun on the field. Thanks to everyone for their support this season. I've especially been blown away by our parents, and so many are here tonight, which surprised me. I don't know why, but it surprised me. Um, for showing up in so many ways, traveling to games, cheering us on, feeding us, and more. Thank you to our DSA, Brian Park, for all your support, to our athletic trainer, Vicki Gallagher, and our many, many fans. We're excited about next season. Thank you for those words. And I, I echo Dr. Noonan, I think, and speak on behalf of the school board. It was really exciting to hear, you know, get the text messages about the next step and the next uh, and the next stage that you're in in the tournament. Um, I think one thing that, that hasn't been mentioned is the number of um, 
younger girls in the community that really got excited about field hockey from watching you all. And I know a few of them live around me, and they're excited about trying to be a, uh, a varsity player one day. And it was really inspired by your run and how you all did it. It wasn't just the wins. Um, as your coach said, it's not just the uh, you know wins build uh, excitement and losses build character. And as a former high school soccer varsity coach, I, my teams had a lot of character, a lot of character. Um, but, but I think the way you all did it is really exciting. And we really, are, on behalf of the whole school board, really congratulations on your run and look forward to seeing you all keep building this program for next year. So thank you for coming. All right. Yeah. I just wanted to chime in really quick and also say congratulations and just a thank you for bringing such joy to the community. It was just truly just a spot of joy um, for everybody who was following your run. Um, I also lost in the state finals in field hockey in high school. Uh, you will remember it forever. Um, I am so excited for you to be able to carry that memory and all the joy um, hopefully that you guys shared together that you shared with us as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. Having watched all of you play this season, I would be remiss without saying congratulations, and I am thrilled that we were able to honor you tonight because it was a fantastic season, and you did a fabulous job. Thank you, Ms. Murphy. All right, I'm going to um, give you an option. <laughs> and the option is you can stay and listen to the superintendent's proposed budget for the FY25 school year, or I can pause for a minute or two and give you a chance to head out if you want. Wait till you finish. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great night. <laughs> it's a really good budget, though. We just wanted to get you to the front row. We just wanted to get you to the front row. <laughs> All right, good evening, um, Chair Gould and Vice Chair Tice, members of the school board, good evening. Um, for those of you that are new tonight, so Ms. Henderson and Ms. Murphy, um, it is an unusual place for me to be presenting from. I only present from the podium um, once, maybe twice a year, but always for the budget um, and the superintendent's proposed budget. And the reason that I do that is because this is one of the uh, most important presentations I think I do of the year, um, simply because I think more than anything it speaks to our values, what we believe is a school system, and how we want to support um, our really great work going forward. So before I start this evening, I do want to take just a couple of minutes to thank some people that are here um, for their extraordinary work um, and efforts uh, on behalf of the budget, and then welcome a couple of guests that are here as well. And let me start um, first by thanking Kristen Michael, our Chief Operating Officer, uh, and Michelle Kopik. Michelle has, uh, Michelle Kopik and Kristen Michael, yes, have put in hours and hours on this, burning the midnight oil, crunching numbers, making sure that all of the um, all of the numbers balance and everything works um, and have been extraordinary partners. Um, one, of the, one of the very fortunate things I have 
um, going for me as the superintendent is I get an, an opportunity to think sort of broadly and being uh, trying to be visionary in some of the work that we're doing and I have a great team around me that really helps us um, pull all the pieces together. So I want to thank them uh, first and foremost. I also want to welcome a couple of guests. This evening we have um, two council members with us. Um, I want to thank first um, Vice Chair, or is it Vice Chair? Vice Mayor, that's right, sorry. Vice Mayor Hiscott, uh, congratulations on your um, ascension to that uh, really great position. Um, and also Mary Beth Connolly. Sorry, I missed the mayor part. It's the, I'm so used to the chair. Um, but also thank you, Mary Beth Connolly, for being here uh, and representing the school board, uh, the city council um, in our presentation tonight. And then I also want to thank um, members of our administrative team that are here who are school-based and some of our central office staff that are here. Um, they have been invaluable in this process as well. So um, let me just start by saying thank you to all of you for the opportunity this evening to present um, my proposed budget um, that really is a compilation of a lot of time, energy, and effort that not only um, is, is part of the work that we have done with the people that I've mentioned, um, but also the work of our principals, the work of our teachers, the work of our departments, and the work of our staff. Um, this budget um, season, as I was heading into it, I have to be perfectly honest, um, and it's sort of of two minds when I was coming into this, I was quite worried. Um, some of the board members uh, that have been on the board since last year know um, that I was, I was nervous and, and had some trepidation because I, wasn't I was concerned about where our revenue was going to come in, um, not only our local revenue, but also our state revenue. Um, but um, I am filled with relief now um, and excitement and joy now that the revenue picture has become more clear to us. The revenue picture um, is not clear, however, by accident. And I want to take just a second um, to suggest to all of you that are here and also at home that this is the embodiment of what I think can, this budget represents the embodiment of what can be done when teams work together to collaborate, to cooperate, and to be visionary. This year's local Falls Church revenue is a consequence of planning that has been done very thoughtfully and with great care over the last several years to really build our city. We've been planning uh, for a long time for the growth that we have picked up over the last year and will to come. We've been planning around the development. We've done that through building a new school and looking at the required resources that are necessary to provide the infrastructure for us to ensure that we remain as one of the top divisions in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And again, for the sixth year running, we have been named as um, the top school division in Virginia. So that is happening. I want to take a second also um, this evening to thank the voters um, it, that took a chance on us with a bond referendum six years ago and the school board and the city council that agreed to move ahead with their ambitious goals, looking at a school, the development plan that was behind it, and our partners in the general government along with the city manager, Wyatt Shields. Lastly, I want to thank all of um, the staff who continue to perform and outperform um, not just their own efforts, but continue to outperform um, in every way across the region and across the Commonwealth. Tonight's budget, from my perspective, is a true celebration of what public schools and public government can do when they work together on behalf of the greater good, which is the city of Falls Church. 
So we um, value strongly our partnership. And as previously noted, we are very appreciative of all of the partnerships that we have across the City of Falls Church. As many of you are aware, I think by now, I'm a bit of a stickler with some language. And one of the pieces of language that I get sort of sticky about is that we're the schools, you're the school board, we have the general government, and the general government consists of the city council and our, our general government partners like Wyatt Shields, our city manager, and the like. And together, we all represent the city. So one thing I want to be really clear about tonight as I present the budget is this really represents, again, sort of a combination of all of us together um, working collectively on behalf of the entire city of Falls Church. And as a consequence of that, although we each have different statutory authority, we do work together to make sure Falls Church moves, moves um, successfully and smoothly. And we are very proud um, to once again, for the sixth year in a row, propose a budget to you, the school board, that falls within the guidance provided by, this, by the city council, um, who is, again, another arm of our city. So let me start with just a couple of slides that I know the board is familiar with, but I want to take just a second for those folks that may be at home um, and watching or may watch this in the future, um, because it really does speak to what guides our work here in the City of Falls Church. And we are in the second year of implementation around our strategic plan. Um, I won't read these statements to you, but I think that they're important to suggest what we're about when we think about um, being a school, that we're not just you know, having kids come in, we're visionary. Um, we are part of the International Baccalaureate Program and we are preparing students to be responsible and caring and internationally minded. And what we're seeing is that's being borne out in a variety of ways. Um, so, so we've got our mission, we've got our vision, and then we move to our core values. And these core values really speak to, I think, where we land along with our collective commitments with respect to this budget. We are a student-centered organization. Every decision that we make is based on the best interest of the students that we serve. As a collective, um, we are responsive and accountable, um, not only financially, academically, but also personally and through communications. We pride ourselves on excellence in academics and academic success. We believe strongly in inclusion and diversity, and as a community, we believe that all of this work is predicated on great connections with our families, with our students, and with our teachers, which leads us to our collective commitments. And these commitments, um, you've seen these before, but for the good of the cause, I think that they're really important to reiterate. And the first is, you know, we keep students at the center. The second is, that we believe that making sure we have the highest quality teachers in the classroom and the highest quality staff on our operations teams um, will help us be successful to ensure that we have high quality learning across our division. We believe that we should be working with students in an individualized way to meet their, their per personal goals and their achievements to the best of their abilities. We believe we need to remain competitive in the marketplace to ensure that we have the best and brightest that are coming to Falls Church, that we have a multi-tiered systems of support, 
So in case a student is falling down, we have a very um, clear response to what happens when a student is struggling. Um, and that is done through that multi-tiered system of support. We believe in social emotional learning and mental health. And we have put a lot of resources into that since the pandemic, particularly as students are returning to school after a couple of years. We believe strongly in a caring community and a welcoming culture that we are compassionate and active lifelong learners. We're responsive to the current needs, not only within our community, but in our surrounding uh, community, as well as the global community. And lastly, we believe that we need to interrogate and dismantle structural racism wherever we see it. So these commitments land us with five strategic focus areas. And for purposes of the budget, I think it's important for the board and the community to know that each one of the budget items that you'll see tonight um, and all of those budget items that were presented to us by schools and school staff were tied specifically to one of these strategic focus areas. It's either around IB, infused teaching and learning, wellness, equity and belonging, resource management, continuous improvement, communication and engagement, or investing in our people. If um, anyone is interested in seeing how we're doing, um, we would invite them to go to our Measuring Our Progress page on the website to see. Um, it's a very transparent process that we have in place, and each of these focus areas has some key actions associated with it, and we believe that this budget will allow us to continue to build upon those successes that we've experienced as part of our progress in our new strategic plan. So let me begin with enrollment. Um, of course, enrollment is always where we start our budget process, is seeing who are we going to be serving. And I want to start with current enrollment. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out to you, and this is uh, going to be a hard uh, chart for you to read from the dais. Um, but I, there's one uh, or two particular numbers that I want to call your attention to. And the first is, um, it's the second to last column, um, I'm sorry, third to last column, which is the FY 2024 actual enrollment. And these enrollment data were collected on September 30th of this year. And you'll see that that number is 2,656. That's the number of students that we had on September 30th. I want to tell you that those are the numbers that we um, look at first, but those have changed. Since September 30th, we've actually gained 22 more students, and our current enrollment as of today is 2678. Um, and I think that that's important to note that we continue to grow. From these numbers, however, the second to last column at the bottom shows that we have an 82 student variance from what our projection was. So this time last year, when we came forward, we, we thought that there were going to be 82 students less than um, what we have today. And that was based on some information that we got from the Weldon Cooper Center. Um, and I just want to let everyone on the dais know and, and at home also that that variance with projection now is 104 and that the variance in the uh, total student population is 122, not 100. So we have 122 students more than we had last year. Are you all seeing the presentation okay on your computers? Okay, good. All right, 
So then we um, look at, in terms of current enrollment, where are, where are we seeing some of those bumps? And you'll look at the last column here and you'll see a JTP, um, Jesse Thackeray Preschool, we've got Amanda Davis with us tonight. Um, we have 10 more students at JTP than we had um, last year. We have 23 more students at Mount Daniel. Thanks, Tim Kasich, for being here tonight. Um, we have 31 more students at Oak Street Elementary um, that Kareem Doherty has been working with. Um, Steve Pickering, thank you for being here tonight. We have 30 more students at Mary Ellen Henderson and Peter Laub's group at um, Meridian High School. There are about six more students um, there. So what we're seeing is some pretty significant growth, particularly in the elementary grades um, and a little bit on the secondary campus, but not to the extent that we're seeing it at the elementary. In terms of student services, and this is uh, who are we serving, um, and what special needs might there be beyond um, just a, a, a routine um, student that comes into our system that doesn't need any special services. Um, and a couple of things I want to point out in this chart is uh, from the fourth, um, from the end uh, column, you'll see where we are currently, the change from the prior year in the third column from the last um, and then as a percentage from the prior year and our totals. So what you'll see here is our economically disadvantaged when we took these data on September 30th was 308 students are currently economically disadvantaged, which means those students are receiving free and reduced lunch. That number since the September 30th date has actually gone up to 312, but this represents roughly 12% of our population. In terms of students with disabilities, um, we had 356 on September 30th. We're now at 380 students with disabilities that have been identified, and that's about 14% of our total population, but it's a growth of about 6% overall. Um, students with 504s, these are students that do not have an IEP but have some sort of need for modification um, and accommodation, and currently we have 200 students on September 30th, but now we have 221 students that are receiving services through a 504. And then English speakers of other languages, on September 30th we had 139, and as of today we, had a, we have 158. So we're seeing more ESOL students coming as well, and that represents about 6% overall of our population. The other information that we share in here is where are we with our homeschool students? Um, we do have parents that register with us each year um, to be able to provide homeschooling for their students and we're seeing this year 34 students which is a net reduction of three from the prior year which gets us closer to where we were pre-pandemic. And then tuition students, this does not include tuition students at Jesse Thackeray Preschool, but we currently have 25 students that are on a tuition agreement with us, um, which is a growth of about seven um, across the system. In terms of a graphical representation, you'll see these stack bars. These stack bars are actually by grade level. Um, and you'll see that um, our high water mark was in 2017-18. Um, we dropped during the pandemic and we're starting to see that build towards um, the tail end of the, the right-hand side of these stacked bars. So where, does these, where do these data come from um, in terms of our projection? And we start with um, in a place where we have traditionally started, and that is at the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. And the Weldon Cooper Center has been a great partner with us for many, many years. They look particularly at birth data. They look at cohort movement from grade level to grade level. 
But the one thing that they don't do in their projections is they don't include new housing stock. Now that's important in the city of Falls Church because we are seeing some significant housing stock coming online um, as we speak. So we really felt it important this year, it important this year to have another partner that can come in and help support us with really knowing and drilling down into where are the students coming from and what do we project for the future. So enter the Stephen Fuller Institute. And the Stephen Fuller Institute is um, a joint venture between the general government and the schools and the school board to identify um, which students will be coming. So we are looking at student generation ratios um, and growth that are based on a number of factors now to include birth, date, uh, birth data, cohort data, but we are now looking at it through the lens of what our current housing stock is gonna look like when some of the development that is almost done comes online. So think of it as a combo platter. We're looking at the birth data, the cohort data, and the housing data, and this combo platter really allows us to get a better picture of the current state of play within what I would consider an extraordinarily dynamic uh, environment of growth. So here's the enrollment forecast in a graphical um, or a line graph. Um, there are a couple of things I want to point out here um, to, to make sure that everybody's clear about what we're looking at. The green represents where are we today. Um, that is our growth up to that very dark vertical line right in the middle of the graph. The dotted line that you see is if, and, and where you'll see that dip is 2019, 2020, right? The green line dipped pretty tremendously. And that was because of COVID. If COVID hadn't happened and we continued to grow at the rate we were growing previously, we would be on that dotted line and that we would see that trend in our growth. However, um, the students that um, left during COVID, uh, many of them didn't come back uh, for a variety of reasons. And so we needed to look at a different methodology to understand where we are. So what you'll see is the red line, and the red line is simply the Weldon-Cooper line. If we only looked at Weldon-Cooper alone, we would follow that red line for growth. Um, the dotted line you'll see above continues to grow. And then that blue line is what we consider to be the most likely scenario. This is the combination of birth data, housing data, cohort data, et cetera. So um, we are really banking on, if you will, that blue line for where we see our growth moving forward. So when we think about where are we going to be um, in terms of projections in September 30th, for next year, um, our projection is 2,719 students. Um, this is 85 more than our actual enrollment, and it's 185 more than what we had on September 30th of this year. So we are seeing, again, pretty significant growth within a two-year period of roughly 185 to 200 students which is about seven point, between 7.3% and 7.5% growth. This is not an insignificant number in a small school division like ours. It has impact. But I want to assure the board and those folks that are listening at home that we have the facilities, we have the space, we have renovated buildings. Mount Daniel has been renovated recently and added to. Oak Street has recently been, re been renovated. We, not too long ago, bought Jesse Thackeray. Um, we've got a relatively new school, all things considered, in the last 20 years at Mary Ellen Henderson, and we have a brand new high school. So we knew it was coming. 
Um, and so because we knew it was coming, we have definitely planned accordingly. Which leads us then, knowing that that's going to be our growth, to what is the proposed revenue? So where is the money going to come from? And this was where my nervousness came earlier in this year uh, when I was sharing um, with the, the former school board as a whole. And let me start by saying again how much we appreciate and um, are thankful for the incredible collaboration with our general government partners and with the city council. The budget should, and in my opinion does, as part of their guidance, provide an option for a penny reduction on the tax rate. This was their guidance to us on December 11th. That tax rate was forecasted several years ago as we modeled what it would look like if we did the uh, economic planning around building the new high school. We did forecast that we would do a penny reduction on the tax rate or the council would do a penny reduction on the tax rate. This budget that I've prepared for you tonight would allow for that penny reduction on the tax rate. It supports compensation and supports retention and, su and supports um, recruitment of our teaching and faculty. That was part of the City Council's guidance as they came out with that on December 11th. We have met, in my opinion, every benchmark that was set by the City Council in their guidance uh, to us. In addition to that, I believe that we've met every bit of guidance that you all shared with us as part of our work session that we had together. And for redundancy, just because I think it's important, this again is the sixth time we will come in with a budget that is within organic guidance and in the spirit of the revenue sharing agreement, showing full cooperation with our partners in the city, city government. So um, let's talk about local funding um, and sort of where we are with our uh, revenue sharing agreement. Um, based on the preliminary revenue forecast that was presented to us at our joint board and city council meeting on December 4th, we are anticipating that the tax revenue growth in the, in the city as a whole is going to be 8%. That represents an additional $7.5 million in revenue into the city. If we look at that in the context of our revenue sharing agreement, which we have, um, that means that the Falls Church City Public Schools would receive $3.75 million to work with as new revenue as we go forward. The state revenue is a slightly different picture. Um, we see the state revenue that has been presented in the most recent um, budget that was put out by the governor as a significant loss, not only to the Falls Church City Public Schools, but also a reduction to public education across the board. Um, we are not seeing the dollars flowing in like we have from the state in the past, um, but I will also share with you with a new house and a new Senate working together in Richmond, it remains to be seen what will happen with the state budget. However, we can only base our budget tonight or my, the, the superintendent's budget tonight on what, uh, what we know is to be true today. And one thing we know to be true today is that we have a great revenue sharing relationship with the city council and the governor's budget is, in my opinion, not kind to pre-K-12 public education. So some other revenue sources that we are able to look at to help 
round out um, what we have to work with going forward is we are seeing about $36,000 in additional, or $37,000, excuse me, in new revenue from the federal um, government. And those primarily flow through um, IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, Title I, Title II, Title III. Um, those are um, st students that are in poverty, those are professional development dollars, and those are ESOL dollars, respectively. Um, and we're also seeing federal funding of $666,000 that reflects an increase of 5.9, uh, primarily due to IDEA and career and tech funding increases. So our overall increase, though, from the federal government that we will receive this coming year is an additional $37,000 of revenue. As uh, normal, um, as normal course of our budgeting, we do take some of our um, year-end balance and pour it towards the beginning balance. And we have traditionally put forth between $400,000 and $450,000 of beginning balance and poured it into, um, or ending balance and poured it into beginning balance. We intend to do that again. The reason that there's a zero on the right-hand side is because we're not going to increase that. Um, we intend to just keep it at $450,000 of beginning balance. And then other revenue that we receive um, is interest and tuition uh, revenue and some fees that we collect. Um, so when we pull all those other revenue sources together, that represents a $1.3 million additional revenue source um, that we can look at. So when we look at our um, annual pie chart, and I know some of you love this pie chart, I love this pie chart, um, we are heavily dependent on um, our relationship with the Falls Church City Council and our friends in the general government. In fact, 81% of our budget comes from, uh, in FY25, will come from the, the local government. Our, stat, our state revenues will account for 15%, um, and all other revenues will make up the additional 4% that's missing. So when you look at that in sum total, on the left-hand side, in that um, chart, you will see that we have $4.1 million of new revenue to work with as we begin building our budget. So where are we going to put our money? Um, and this is the million-dollar question that I think everybody um, around uh, our system is waiting to hear. Um, and the first is, um, I think it's really important that we, we double down a little bit on the fact that we do look at the priorities within the strategic plan that was adopted by the school board two years ago as our North Star. We believe that those need to be where we're putting our, our money because that is a document that was brought, uh, that was built by the community and for the community. Um, then the next three um, were, that were important to you as a board that I think um, we wanted to make sure that we used as a filter also um, and it also came from connections not just with the board, but with school leadership, our teachers, and our staff, who all of our school leaders met with and had conversations about with respect to the budget, and community members, was maintenance of current programming, or maintenance of effort, if you will, and services, looking at investments needed to remain competitive, and then lastly, investments in our future. So when we think about maintenance of current programs and services, let's start with enrollment growth. Um, and let me start with small class sizes. Small class sizes in the city of Falls Church has been a hallmark trait of what separates us from the rest of the region. We staff at 22 to one at the lower elementary schools and we staff at 24 to one at the upper elementary school and secondary. 
most school divisions in the region staff between 28 to 1 and 30 to 1. As a consequence of that, we, we have small class sizes and we are dedicated to making sure that we keep those class sizes small. And the reason for that is we are relational, we care about our kids, we know our families, we know our students and we can meet their needs. To maintain those staffing levels and be consistent with what I would consider are our values as a school system, we need to increase staffing to meet the enrollment growth that I've shared with you earlier. So we're proposing in this budget five new elementary teachers and one new secondary teacher and two new half-time paraprofessionals. And if you go back and think about that chart that I shared with you earlier, you'll note where most of the growth was falling. And this is, and we are able to track it by cohort now um, and see where those areas of um, sort of uh, expansion are and are able to adequately um, serve those areas with those five new teaching positions uh, at the elementary, one new at the secondary, and two, at, uh, two additional paraprofessionals. Um, this will be a challenge, I think, in a tough environment, not just um, in locally, not just in the state, but nationally with respect to um, the national teacher shortage. But one of the things that I'm pleased to say to you is that we are trying desperately to secure um, and, and sort of move around that by securing people early. Um, we've been working very closely with Amy Hall from our Human Resources Department and Kristen Michael um, and others to make sure that we're offering early contracts and early hires to those people that we learn of, that we know are good, that we can bring into our system. Um, we are growing our own. Um, we have a really great um, group of folks that are going through NOVA and then through George Mason to get their teaching credential. Um, at a convocation three years ago, I made a promise to three students that were graduating, that were going off to become teachers, that when they graduated, we would at least interview them and probably give them a job. So we, we are excited to have some of those folks come back too. Um, but the other part of it that's more budget related is that in this budget, when we get to compensation, you will see that one of the things we're committed to is compensating our people well, not just for retention, but also for recruitment. And then leveraging the really great relationships that we have with our, with our friends in the Falls Church um, Ed Foundation. One of the things that I love to talk about when I interview, I interview every single new teacher that comes into the system, and one of the things that I'm always excited to tell them about is the fact that we have an Ed Foundation that provides a whole nother level of support through grant funding um, to really give them a sense of um, the spirit of uh, innovation and ingenuity that they can um, leverage here in the city of Falls Church. So we are working desperately to, to move through some of those challenges that we may face hiring an additional, and this represents eight new people um, to our system. Some other places that we think are really important for us to maintain our current programs and services. And these positions are becoming permanent um, that had been previously funded with one-time money. The first is um, we have a math resource teacher at the elementary school. That math resource teacher uh, at the elementary school has made incredible inroads with our teaching of mathematics, with some of the changes that have come through uh, from the state of Virginia, and that math resource teacher we are proposing becomes a permanent addition to the staff. Um, we are looking at an additional secondary counselor. 
You may be aware at the secondary campus during COVID or post COVID, we were able to hire through COVID funding a second, uh, not a second, but an additional secondary counselor. Um, this counselor has been extraordinary in bridging the gap between the middle school and the high school and helping with transition. And we are proposing that we make that position permanent. We are also proposing that we make the advanced academics teacher, which is the second teacher at Oak Street uh, in advanced academics, a permanent position. Um, this was funded through one-time money last year. The position wasn't filled until December of this last year, but after having it filled now and seeing the value of it, we really believe that a second advanced academics teacher at Oak Street will be really significant in helping build our program there. We also are proposing that we add the assistant principal of student support at the secondary campus as a permanent position. And lastly, we are looking at doing some contract length extensions and adjustments that had been done previously through one-time money, but making them permanent. And these are for our special education administrators and for our division-wide instructional directors. Some other things that we um, have on our uh, proposed list of items that we will continue, but only with one-time money until more money becomes available is additional school psychology services, um, a teacher for English speakers of other languages that has been in place at the middle school. We'd like to continue that for another year. Um, and then the advanced academic coordinator. This is a person that we pay hourly that helps us. We don't have the money in the budget this year to do these three positions as permanent recurring positions, but we do have one-time money. We'd like to continue it for another year and work towards funding for that, those three positions into the future. Lastly, with respect to maintenance of current programs and services, these are some fixed costs that we simply can't avoid. The first is a 10% increase we are, um, we are projecting for our insurance. Um, this is the employer and the employee rate representing $405,000, looking at additional costs for insurance of $25,000 and then other utility costs of up to um, about $248,000. You never do a budget without looking behind the screen to see are there some reductions that we can take or are there areas that we can find some dollars as well. Um, we do propose the reduction of a central office position um, and, and uh, that would realize about $171,000 and that's a fully loaded meaning benefits included position. Um, we also are anticipating a rate reduction with the Virginia retirement system of $463,000. And then we um, thank you to Michelle Kopic, who has really looked at our salary files um, and drawn those down right down to the penny. And we believe that we're going to realize about $300,000 in salary savings and, some, and turnover. So you might say, where did that come from? Um, so that means that we may have had a teacher that retired at the end of last year that's been with us for 30 years. And in exchange for that teacher, we hired somebody with five years of experience. There's a differential in that salary, and those dollars in differential become captured as part of our salary savings and turnover. We might have had a position that was unfilled for an extended period of time. Those dollars are still in the budget, but they weren't being paid out to someone, so those become salary savings and turnover. So we are anticipating about $300,000. So this is um, about $900,000 in backside savings that we intend to take that will be helpful for us to balance the budget. There are a number of things that we believe are really important for us to be able to invest 
in our future and remain competitive in this increasingly competitive environment of Northern Virginia and again, Virginia and across the country with respect to teachers. So we are proposing that everyone who is eligible for a step increase receive their step increase. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody, whether you're a bus driver, food service worker, teacher, assistant principal, principal, and so on, um, we believe that everyone should get a, a step increase. That represents a 2.5% increase over last year's um, step. Additionally, we're proposing a 3.5% salary adjustment as part of a cost of living adjustment. Um, this is really important for us for a number of reasons. Um, one is that there are a number of surrounding jurisdictions that gave a 2% mid-year COLA this year um, that you may have read about as part of um, the governor's plan uh, as part of the first year of or second year of the biennium. Um, we simply were not able to do the 2% cost of living adjustment like some other surrounding jurisdictions. And the reason for that is, um, for, and, and I know the board knows this, but for others that may not know, the money that we get from the state to do a 2% cost of living adjustment is 20% of what it costs for us to do a 2% cost of living adjustment. So, for example, if a cost of living adjustment at 2% costs us a million dollars as a school division, the state gives us $200,000 and we are required to come up with $800,000 to do that 2% addition. This mid-year, we were not able to do that. And so rather than look at simply the CPIW, which is the Consumer Price Index Workers number, we just, which would be 3.2%, we did bump it up to 3.5% which ultimately and in turn results in an overall 6% a salary adjustment for all of our employees on average across the system. We're also including $16,000 in here for some scale realignment. And these are school special education administrators and division-wide instructional coordinators that are going to be reclassified from the teacher scale to the leadership team scale in alignment with their responsibilities and their position classifications. We've included in this budget, um, and as the board, well, let me, let me start with this. As the board and the community are aware, um, the FCCEA um, recently unionized, and we have negotiated a contract that is not public yet, um, but has a number of tentative agreements in, those, in that contract. Um, what we promised um, to the FCCEA is that if we were able to complete our negotiations by December 1st, that we would put placeholders in the budget for those items that we would, uh, that we had, that had economic impact. Um, again, the contract's not ready for ratification by the FCCEA or the school board. There are a number of cleanup edits that need to be done. We're very close. Um, but these items represent those tentative agreements that were made with the union um, that we feel are important to include in the school's budget. The first is a retirement contribution match of $150,000. Longevity steps that were added to the salary scale of $36,000. We're increasing homebound teacher pay, which will cost us about $21,000. And we are making the registrar at Henderson, um, who is the only registrar that's not on a 12-month contract, a 12-month contracted employee. That retirement contribution match, just for the good of um, the school board and those that may be listening at home, is um, the, school, uh, the schools and the superintendent will match a 1% of a base salary for those employees that have a 403B or a 457. And let me rephrase that.
that we will match up to 1% uh, for those employees that have a 457 or a 403B. So some investments in our future. Um, we, we are um, past the negotiation stage um, with the union contract, and we need someone to help us manage that contract. Specifically, um, we need someone will help, who will help us um, develop standard operating procedures in a new environment of being unionized. We need someone who will help us meet with the union in the quarterly meetings that have been set up to help us communicate effectively through the schools and with the administration. We need someone who can help us with training for staff and administrators on how to implement a union contract for the first time. And we also need someone who will help us with hearing and grievance procedures should those arise. Lastly, and from a purely parochial position, um, we need someone who will allow the superintendent, the chief academic officer, and the chief operating officer, um, the ability, and HR, the ability to do our work. Um, to be out in schools and working with our staff rather than working through grievance procedures, working through the, the manuals of standard operating procedures and the like. Therefore, um, as a consequence of that, we, have, we are proposing a new labor relations director position that will help liaise between schools, the union, and help support the ongoing education necessary for us to engage in union activities for the first time. We are proposing $12,000 in additional EPEDs or extra pay for extra duties. We have three new. Um, one is for webmaster stipends for our K-12 schools. The next is for a chemical safety stipend at the high school for our science department. And lastly, at Meridian for our new CP program to be able to provide a stipend to that person who is going to coordinate that CP program. We've included $104,000 in additional money for textbooks and instructional materials. And lastly, we're looking at $12,000 in materials and supplies for our preschool. And the reason that some of those numbers are on the left and some of those numbers are on the right, those that are on the left are recurring costs, those that are on the right are through one-time funding that we have. So what does this all mean in terms of proposed budget expenditures? And here are the, here are the totals. Um, we have, <laughs> we, not surprisingly, we have $4,161,664 of revenue coming in that can be recurring, and we have the same number of dollars in recurring costs. We also have in the amount of $155,000 one-time funding um, that we are going to expend and $156,000 in additional funding that's coming from the remaining portion of the federal pandemic funds that we have partnered with our general government uh, partners on um, throughout the last couple of years. So here's what the, the budget expenditures look like with respect to um, our favorite pie charts. Um, and I want to lead with 86% of the dollars in this proposed budget go to staff. Um, they go to our people. Uh, we are a people-driven organization, and as a consequence of that, we believe that's where our money should go. Additional funds will go to materials and supplies, utilities, insurance, travel, rental, capital, capital replacements, and then transfers and reserves. So in closing, um, I am, as the superintendent, um, required to provide to the school board a needs-based budget. And sometimes that needs-based budget aligns with the priorities that have come out. Sometimes it doesn't. 
Um, tonight, I'm really proud to say that um, this is a needs-based budget that reflects the highest priorities that came from the school board, our principals, our staff, and the guidance from the city council. It falls within guidance and organic growth, again, for the sixth year in a row. It's an overall 6.8% increase over last year's budget, which is healthy and really good. Um, we believe that it takes at least 4% each year above and beyond what the prior year was to at least allow for growth in salaries and the like. And I, I will say um, unabashedly that um, we are really proud of this budget. Um, we took into account everyone's input, we listened deeply, and we've met the spirit of what everyone has asked for. So the budget calendar is in here, um, and you'll see there are a couple of dates that are particularly of importance that are coming up. Um, the first is that uh, we will have a budget work session um, and your adoption of the advertised budget on February 27th. And what that means is between now and February 27th, you have an opportunity to ask questions, get some answers, we'll have work sessions, and then on the 27th, it's no longer the superintendent's proposed budget, it then becomes the school board's advertised budget. Then on April 1st, um, our new board chair, Dr. Gould, will go to the city council along with myself and, and others uh, to present the school board's budget to the city council. Um, and then for there, from there, the city council will do their work. Your work will be done. We will have then incorporated the school board's budget into the city council's budget. And then there's a public hearing, a work session, and a final adoption of the city city's overall budget on May 14th, um, and then, I'm sorry, May 13th, and then on May 14th, we will all come back together and adopt, hopefully, the final school budget. Um, at that point, we will be able to provide contracts to our teachers, um, and we are off to the races at that point, moving forward into um, budgeting for the, or loading the budget for the following year. So let me talk about um, a little bit more information. Um, first, um, I, I would request that um, our school board members um, after tonight um, or tonight and, and beyond um, submit your questions directly to me with a copy to the chair and to the vice chair. Um, what we will do is we will do what we've done in the past. We will take those questions, we'll answer them, um, we'll, we'll number order them so you'll see uh, a listed um, copy of all of the questions that have been asked and those responses. Um, and then at work sessions, we will ask you if you have any clarification of any of the questions that or responses that were provided to you. And if there aren't any, then we'll continue the conversation around the budget. Um, we also will provide for the community, for our friends at the press and others, all of the budget documents that are available, um, including the questions and answers, and those will be on our budget webpage. Um, this will be the seventh year of an extremely transparent process um, that we are um, very pleased with and uh, excited to do the work. So with that, um, that, was, that was a little longer than I anticipated, but you know me. Um, I, I wanna just thank you. Um, I wanna thank you again for your incredible support. Um, the work that you've done to get us to where we are now. Um, I 
have said this before, and I sort of am going to knock on wood when I say this, um, but I, I believe what we've presented to you tonight is the best budget that we've ever had in the time that I've been the superintendent here. We're able to meet the spirit of everything that we're trying to do with compensation, retention, recruitment, growth, development, all the things that um, we heard as we went around uh, and spoke to everyone uh, that was available within our uh, city schools. So with that, Chair Gould, I'll turn it back to you and I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Um, I, I don't wanna have a chilling effect on this evening's questions, but I would say if you could kind of keep them at a high level, um, that would be good. And then if there are more weedy questions, um, we'd be happy to take those as questions that we can put into a document and be part of our uh, initial pass at some of those questions and answers. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Thank you for the detail of the, the budget. And obviously we appreciate it. You know, half the presentation was about our core values, our strategy, or where we're going as a mission as an organization, and how that budget fits that and supports that. And I think that's a great, uh, a, a great story that we all want to keep adhering to. So it's a great bar. Um, I will pause here, and as Dr. Noon said, we'll have a number of school board meetings to go through detailed questions, um, but are there any high-level comments or questions from the board at this time? Dr. Ortiz. Hi, Dr. Noonan. Um, thank you for the, bud for the presentation and especially for the exceptional amount of detail regarding the motivation behind all the various components of it. Um, so this this will be, I promise, a high-level question. You had a chart on um, students with, uh, let's just say, um, different, different and different needs, you know, and, and how that's grown and changed over the course of the last year, and 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 also where you're expecting it to go. Um, could you shed a little bit of light? And and within the the federal as well as state law, there are requirements regarding certain services we have to provide. Um, Falls Church City Public Schools has prided itself on not just meeting the minimum of the law, but also meeting those students with what they actually need. And so if you could shed a little bit of light on um, how um, you build in actual student needs with respect to some of those, um, in some of those areas into the budget, I think that would be helpful for folks to know. Sure, thank you. Um, thank you for that question, Dr. Ortiz. Um, and let me, let me kind of, can we go back to that slide perhaps? I, oh, I've got the clicker. <laughs> Maybe I'll go back to that slide. Um, because I want to make sure that I'm referencing the right one. Um, so let me start. Let me start here. I think this is the question that you were asking uh, about. So this is the slide that really speaks to um, the the very diverse group of people that we have in in our community, whether they're students with disabilities, students that are economically disadvantaged, um, and the like. And um, I th I think. Um, let me start at a high level and let me kind of take it down a level. Let me start by saying um, that the state of Virgi the code of Virginia requires that um, we meet what are called the standards of quality um, that are put out there um, as part of legislation and from the state board that say for every X number of students, you need to have a school counselor. For every X number of students, you need to have a teacher in the classroom and a paraprofessional. For every X number of students, you need to have um, a, a school nurse or an assistant principal or whatever the case may be. Um, and and it, if we were to follow simply those standards of quality, we would have an extraordinarily um, smaller staff. And the reason for that is that we exceed what is required by the state, sort of to your point, um, in terms of those standards of quality. 
One of the ways that we exceed those standards of quality is by staffing our lower elementary schools at 22 to 1 and our upper elementary, middle, and high at 24 to 1. The standards of quality numbers for staffing are much greater than that. Um, we have a number of counselors beyond what the standards of quality require for us um, in, uh, from Virginia. Um, so that gets to, just as an example, our school counselors are responsible for the development of and the implementation of our students' 504 plans. Um, so if a student comes in and has diabetes, they're going to get a health care plan, and they're also potentially going to get a 504 plan to make sure that that student has access to food whenever they need it, can, can get up and go to the bathroom without any problem. We might have someone who comes in that maybe doesn't qualify for an IEP because there's not a discrepancy between their performance and where they're tested, um, but perhaps maybe has some executive functioning issues and may, for example, have attention deficit disorder. With that diagnosis, they may not get an IEP, but they might get a 504 plan. Because of the numbers of students we have, and I'm, I'm sort of using 504 as an example, the number of 504 students that we have, nearly 15% of our students are on a 504 plan, um, we need to staff at a greater level than what the standards of quality require. So if you look at the numbers of counselors, for example, in the Falls Church City Public Schools, we exceed that number by four, five, six, based on what the standards of quality require. A second area um, that I'll call to your attention is English speakers of other languages. Um, we currently have uh, on this page 139, but we now know it's 155. Um, and the standards of quality and the staffing ratios for elementary and middle and high are much greater than what we staff at. So I believe we have, um, and, and I, I, I don't want to say with a surety, but I want to say that we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 6.5 to 7.5 ESOL teachers in the, the schools across our division of 2,700 students. Um, most school divisions, and, and that means that we're staffing, if you take that number of uh, 139 and divide it by seven, we're staffing at a really, really small number of students. Most school divisions are staffing at somewhere between 30 and 40 kids per ESOL teacher which means that the services that they're getting in the larger school divisions or different school divisions is going to be great, greatly reduced. So, so we, we're very tight on making sure that our ESOL kids, our 504 kids, um, our students with disabilities, um, and our economically disadvantaged kids are, are taken very good care of through essentially staffing at a, a more rich level than we would otherwise. Um, but there's also... And again, I asked you not for weedy questions, then I give you a weedy answer. I apologize for that. But there's also what happens in the classroom, right? And we know that not every student um, comes to our school, that not all students learn at the same time, at the same rate. Um, if you ask a student to have a project done by two weeks from today, some of the students might make that, some of the students might not, based on their individual learning styles, their plan, their executive functioning skills, their disability, their ability to speak English as their second language, whatever the case may be. But what happens in the classroom, and I think that this is what sets Falls Church City apart, is that our teachers um, are extraordinarily empathic, uh, relational, understand our kids at a deeper level, than many of the school divisions that I've been in. And the reason for that is because those class numbers are small.
Very good. Thank you so much. And I think all that whole description goes directly to the commitment to equity and inclusion that is part of the strategic plan. So I really appreciate the description and we'll look forward to getting into the, the details as you say. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Other questions or comments from the board? Okay. Dr. New, we appreciate uh, the, the, the presentation. Um, we also appreciate how this was built. I think that's uh, something that the public doesn't get to see. Um, and, and we're looking forward to, obviously, there's representation from our schools, from uh, Mr. Kasich, Mr. Pickering, uh, and Ms. Uh, Davis here. We look forward to and appreciate you all inviting us to your schools so we can uh, uh, be part of the presentations that Dr. New will be doing with your staff. And we look forward to being part of that. Um, and, and it should go without saying that, uh, Ms. Michael, Ms. Kopik, the amount of work that you all do to put this budget together for us to understand it, and we're, we all have it here, and it's, it's quite, that is yours, uh, and it's uh, very thick, but it's very, uh, to be able to process all of this is such a, a high bar for how you all do this and walk us through it, and us being the community, not just the school board. So we really appreciate all the time that you've spent, and we're looking forward to digging into this over the next uh, several meetings. So great. Thank you, Dr. Uh, can I say one more thing? Yes, sir. And that is that um, we do have a one-page um, budget at a glance document um, that I, I believe you all have. Uh, in your binders um, that we will uh, be distributing broadly that sort of gives the high level overview of the budget, sort of shows what's in the superintendent's proposed budget. And then once you adopt your budget, we'll modify that as necessary uh, and we will have that available as well. Okay. Um, but it's a nice overview document that has, of course, the pie charts in it, but also a description of what's being funded, where the revenue's coming from and the like. Perfect. So please use it as you see fit. We still encourage everyone in the public to read the larger document as well, but yes, uh, we'll reference that. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. So now we'll move on to section five, public comments and requests. In accordance with school board policy BDDH, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Additional written statements may be submitted to the clerk for dissemination to board members and for the record. Ms. Goodell, do we have any public comments this evening? Uh, no, we do not. No, we do not. Okay, thank you. All right. Let's move on to uh, section six, which is the closed meeting. Um, and I'd like to welcome a motion for a closed meeting. Unfortunately, our former school board member, Dr. Dimmick, is not here. Um, so we will have to try to figure out how to do this without her. Uh, so do I have a motion from the board? Dr. Anderson. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Personnel under section 2.2-3711A1, in particular, staff appointment, staff reassignment, staff resignation, staff retirement, staff performance, staff change in position, staff separation, dependent care leave, long-term medical leave, child care leave request, and leave of absence. And student matters under section 2.2-3711A2, in particular, non-resident employee student tuition. Thank you. Is there a second? Uh, thank you, Ms. Tice, Vice Chair Tice, excuse me. All those in favor say yes. 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 Any opposed? All right, thank you. The motion passes. At this time, the school board members will move to another location for closed meeting. Dr. Noonan, what is the over under and how long this will take? Five minutes. Five minutes, okay, thank you. Uh, we should return in about five minutes. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, I'd like to seek a motion to reconvene to an open meeting. I move that the school board reconvene an open meeting. 
Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Is there a second? Uh, thank you, Ms. Silverman. Uh, all those in favor say yes. yes. Any opposed? Okay. Thank you. The motion passes. Our next step is to certify the closed meeting. Uh, we're at 7.01. Is there a motion? Oh. Amy's got it. Oh, Ms. Murphy? I move that whereas the Falls Church City School Board has convened a closed meeting on this date pursuant to an affirmative recorded vote and in accordance with the provisions of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, and whereas Section 2.2-3711B of the Code of Virginia requires a certification by this school board that such closed meeting was conducted in conformity with Virginia law, now therefore be it resolved that the Falls Church City School Board hereby certifies that to the best of each member's knowledge, one, only public business matters lawfully exempted from open meetings requirement by Virginia law were discussed in the closed meeting to which this certification applies. And two, only such public business matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered. Thank you, Ms. Murphy, uh, especially on your first meeting to bring us back to closed. Um, is there a second? Uh, Dr. Anderson, thank you. All those in favor say yes. yes. Any opposed? All right, thank you. The motion passes. Uh, Ms. Cadell, can you do a roll call vote? Yes, thank you. Dr. Anderson? Yes. Dr. Gould? Yes. Ms. Henderson? Yes. Ms. Murphy? Yes. Dr. Ortiz? Yes. Ms. Silverman? Yes. And Ms. Tice? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Cadell. Our next item is the consent agenda. I'd welcome a motion. Um, Vice Chair Tice. I move that the board approve the consent agenda as presented. Thank you, Vice Chair Tice. Is there a second? Thank you, Ms. Henderson. Uh, all those in favor say yes. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion passes. All right. Now we're going to move on to the business section of the agenda, section 9. Uh, the first item of business is 9.01, approval and adoption of the CIP FY2530. Uh, Dr. Noonan, I think this is your, you're up. Yeah, thank you. Um, I uh, would like to just remind everybody that our um, friend and director of facilities and maintenance, Brian Fowler, did an amazing presentation when he was here a couple of weeks ago of the capital improvement um, program. Um, it was spirited, it shared a lot of information, and we are seeking uh, approval as presented. Right. <clears throat> Great. Does uh, thanks, Doctor. Does any of the board have any questions about the CIP regarding this item? Doctor Ortiz. Yeah. Thanks, Chair Gould. The one thing I would ask is that um, um, in as we get it into the system, that we update the uh, understand that that Brian Fowler presented this to the prior version of the board, that we update it with the current composition of the board. Do you mean the document itself? The document itself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All right. Um, all right. I'd like to welcome a motion with regard to the CIP. Uh, Dr. Anderson? I move that the school board approve the adoption of the FCCPS FY25 to 30 CIP as presented. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Is there a second? Thank you, Ms. Murphy. All those in favor say yes. Yes. Any opposed? All right, thank you. The motion passes. 
All right. Our next item is 9.02, um, approved second reading and adoption of policies, and we turn it over back to Dr. Noonan. And I'm going to pass it right on to Ms. Minson, our Chief Legal Counsel. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you. We have two policies for second reading this evening. The first is policy IL testing programs. This policy would replace our current policy 6.41 um, named testing program. There was one change at line 18 from first reading. I'd welcome any questions on this policy IL. Hearing none, um, the second and final policy for this evening is policy IIAE, Innovative or Experimental Programs. This would be a new policy for the board. It does not replace a current policy. And um, there were no changes proposed at first reading. Are there any questions about this policy, IIAE? Yes. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the uh, pros of implementing this policy and the consequences, if any, of not. Um, the pros of implementing this policy is it would have a policy that we could point to if there are questions about um, how we plan our curriculum and what our educational program is. Um, the cons are um, we would be required to um, ensure that we don't have experimental or innovative programs that are not consistent with accreditation standards regardless of whether the board passes the policy. So even though we don't have a current policy that covers innovative or experimental programs, um, what we currently do with regards to curriculum in our schools is consistent with the requirements of um, 8VAC, which is the Virginia Administrative Code, um, Title 20, Section um, 131.420, which is that second site under the legal references. Does that answer your question, Ms. Henderson? Yeah, can you define what experimental and innovative programs are for the purposes of this policy? I'm going to thank Dr. Bates for jumping in since he is our curriculum expert. Yeah. I Thank you, and thank you for the question. I think simply put, um, these types of programs would be programs that are not part of the standard curriculum. So um, any program that, as we look at with the VDOE, um, sets as expectations for standards of curriculum, we would be saying that uh, we would want to implement something that would be outside of, outside of that. Typically, we've seen in the past um, divisions in an effort to reform schools or reform um, curriculum for um, opportunities for student growth, student achievement, teacher improvement, overall school improvement and school reform would be would fall under this category. So my concern about this policy is that a potential chilling effect on uh, teachers innovating curricula, proposing variations to curricula uh, or experiments that um, fall under some definition of experimental or innovative uh, and, and creating a chilling effect on curricular orientation, uh, development and opportunities and experimentation. So I guess my question for, for our curricular leaders is do you foresee that risk and if no, why not? Yeah, I, I don't foresee that risk because we we write our own curriculum, and so I'm not seeing this um, as specifically something that a teacher would want to do in a classroom as it relates to the curriculum, or as it um, gives students um, additional opportunities, whether it's to um, expand or expand on their learning or take a deeper dive into learning, um, or provide opportunities for diverse learning experience, be it inside or, or outside of the classroom. 
this is would be something that our board would go to the state to say that our overall programming is something that would again not be in alignment with what they are saying we need to um, align with but not necessarily at the teacher level Dr. Newton? May I ask a follow-up question to Ms. Henderson? Um, can you give an example of um, a potential uh, concern or outcome? I, I guess what I'm thinking about is, uh, for example, we, we have uh, an African-American history curriculum that we've written within the City of Falls Church and a course that we teach on African-American history. If, for example, the School Board of Education adopted a policy that said you cannot teach about redlining, you can't teach about, um, you can't teach the truth about, you know, slavery or, or whatever, the, formerly enslaved people or whatever the case may be, is the concern that we wouldn't have the flexibility to, to teach the, the curriculum that we want to make sure that we get across to our kids? Is that, is that an example? That's a great example of, uh, of the concern that I have. And it's partly because this is experimental innovative programs are not really defined in this policy, right? They may be defined elsewhere, but they're not defined in this policy. Um, and so it doesn't, if that were to happen, it feels like it would really hamstring us. And so my question is, what would be the consequences of not passing this, understanding that we are collectively attempting to be consistent with accreditation standards anyway, that that's part of the, the practice. I, I think, I think one, of the, one of the consequences of us not passing it is, and this kind of gets to what Ms. Vincent was saying, is that we, we sort of have to do it anyway. Um, the state tells us what our curriculum standards are. How we implement those curriculum standards are completely up to us and local authority. Um, so unless and until there were some sort of curriculum standard that came out that limited um, substantially what we wanted to teach, I actually, I think even in those cases, we could, I, I, I know it's not defined here, I don't think that we would be limited under experimental or innovative by teaching multiple perspectives, just as an example, to a particular curriculum or a topic. So I, I don't see a downside to this. Um, I also think that um, I've, I've never seen, in my experience in, in the years in Virginia, the State Board of Education one, either try to go after a school division or to withhold funding from a school division for doing something that's inconsistent with curriculum standards. And I think this, I think there is, well, not I think, my experience tells me that there's enough flexibility within the curriculum standards that we have to teach just about anything we want. So for sake of argument, you're right, there's no downside. What's the upside? Um, we have, we have a policy on the books that if somebody comes to us and says, hey, you guys are doing something really off, off what the state curriculum says that you're doing, we could say, we would if it were experimental or innovative, we would have reported it to the state. Um, we don't perceive it as experimental or innovative, and we would have our attorney sort of opine on um, how it's not innovative or experimental. 
I think I think having the ability to sort of point to that would be the reason. I, you know, ultimately it's the decision of the board whether to adopt it or not. I don't know. I don't know if there's a downside of not adopting it. Let me just say that. I, yeah, I would also add that when in looking at the policy, it also provides assurances um, for the DOE that we as a um, local or LEA, local school um, education agency, are providing program that is consistent with accreditation standards. Back in the fall when we provided our data presentation to the school board, um, we shared our accreditation status. And one of the measures and metrics that they look at are the SOL tests. And um, so that would be, you know, obviously problematic if we were offering a curriculum that didn't align um, at some level um, in a way that prepared students, even though we are an IB school division and we infuse our IB learning um, and IB curriculum standards into our daily lessons and, and what it is uh, that we're, we're providing to, to students, which goes above and beyond the state level curriculum standards, hence our, our data that we see, um, I would see it being problematic if we attempted to offer or approved a programming um, to offer to students that didn't fall in line with the accreditation standards of the state when accreditation is something that um, we're expected to achieve. Uh, can I um can I make a recommendation? <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to make a recommendation. I mean, I guess I, I am allowed to, but um, I might recommend that we table this policy, um, have an opportunity to go back to think a little bit more about it too, kind of put together a pro and con, um, see what other school divisions are doing, and try to suss out in some ways what are what are some things that we could get snapped up in um, in terms of innovation or experimental um, programs. I, I don't think there's a risk to passing this. Um, but since we've we've got a new two new board members, someone is asking a lot of questions. Perhaps we could take another another pass at it and kind of um, noodle it among ourselves a little bit further. Okay. Uh, does anybody have any questions or concerns with that recommendation? Okay. All right. Hearing none, then Ms. Vincent, do we have to do anything in terms of? No, I think the only thing you would do in the motion is. Um, just second reading of policy instead of policies and just talk about IL. Okay, great. All right. Um, then let's go ahead and uh, is there a motion with regard to second reading with the amendment that uh, Ms. Minson recommended? Ms. Silverman. I move that the school board approve and adopt second reading of policy IL testing programs. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. Is there a second? Vice Chair Tice, thank you. All those in favor, say yes. Yes. Any opposed? All right. Thank you. Motion passes. Thank you, Ms. Minson. And thanks, Ms. Henderson, for bringing up that issue. 
All right, our next item is 10.01 future agenda items. Um, just to remind um, both our, our uh, all of our board members, this section we do talk about future agenda items um, that, that we can schedule for a later time, either for a school board meeting or for uh, Dr. Noonan to address uh, through email or one of his staff. So there's different ways we address this. But at this time, does anybody have any future agenda items that they would like to bring up? Okay, Dr. Noonan wants me to we, we move have, on after we, that. We have some we're <laughs> going to bring too. Um, yes. So we're, we're slotting a couple things in just for your information. Just as an example, um, there's some really great work being done at the high school um, around uh, restorative circles and restorative justice associated specifically with racialized incidences. Um, and we want to bring that to a, a public meeting so that Peter Laub and um, Steve Pickering can talk about some of the work that's being done there. So. Great. Okay, thank you. And I know we have a couple items. I know Dr. Ortiz mentioned about bus and infrastructure planning at the last meeting. Um, we'll, we'll try to figure out when to slot that in the spring or the fall. So, okay. And there's, we'll always have an opportunity to bring up agenda item meetings, not just here. Thank you. All right. Uh, we'll move on to section 11.01, the superintendent's report. Back to Dr. Noonan. Thank you. Um, a couple of things. Um, first, under investing in our people, um, we are sort of calling all um, folks that are interested on January 12th, on Friday. We're going to close the window uh, for writing letters for our support uh, in support of our employees of the year. Uh, in December, we announced the nominees for the SCCPS awards. It was quite an impressive list. Everyone in the community has an opportunity to write a letter of support for a nominee and add it to their nomination packet. Ultimately, what we'll do is we'll share that nomination packet with all of the employees that were nominated. Um, and then there will be a, a staff member from each school selected as their teacher of the year. Uh, and, and we have support staff as well. Um, and the FCCPS website is employee recognition awards page and that lists all the nominees and provides links if you'd like to drop your letter of support into that portal. So please, please do that. Um, under wellness, equity, and belonging, um, Give Day is next week on January 15th. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, Junior Holiday is a way to remember his contributions through a day of service. And FCCPS students and families will have the opportunity to serve others and give back to the community. Give Day stands for Get Involved, Value Everyone. Give Day will be held on the secondary campus and middle schools will pack grains and beans for the outreach program and elementary school will pack power packs for the food for others. Students have been getting ready for this day to raise awareness, uh, raising funds and getting many students involved for quite a while and the elementary and Henderson PTAs are organizing the event. We thank them very much for that. Um, registration at JTP or Jesse Thackeray Preschool um, for 24-25. January um, is the wait list season, everyone. Um, there are several wait list enrollment windows for parents to be aware of, depending on the program uh, parents are most interested in learning about. So if you're interested in the Virginia Preschool Initiative, the wait list enrollment is January 22nd through the 26th. Um, this is the Virginia program that provides quality early childhood program for students who are at risk. Um, and then tuition peer wait list enrollment, and these are our, our typical, typical peers if you will, um, are available, is available January 29th through February 2nd. Um, so experience the joy of an inclusive learning environment on the tuition um, student wait list. This program is open to current Falls Church City residents only and children must turn three or four by September 30th of 2024. Uh, if you have any questions, please contact Amanda Davis at Jesse Thackeray Preschool. 
lastly, um, uh, I'm happy to announce that we had 44 Meridian students from the class of 2023 um, earn the IB diploma. Um, and last Friday, uh, Meridian High School celebrated those IB diploma candidates and current uh, students in the sophomore through senior class filled the auditorium listening to speeches uh, from many people, including writer and advocate Pete Davis from the uh, George Mason, then George Mason High School class of 2008 and heard from a panel of students in which graduates shared how their IB diploma experience impacted them during their high school years and since graduation. And it was hosted by and uh, facilitated by our own Sean Lewin, who did a really great job, right? And uh, really proud of you for, for doing that. It was nice to see you at the event. Um, so we've got a lot cooking. Um, what is on our plate primarily right now is we are um, sort of in budget mode. Um, so we've been working at that for the last month and a half or so and, and really excited for um, the winter holidays to be over and moving into um, this part of the year. So thank you very much. And that ends my superintendent's report. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. I appreciate that as always. Uh, okay. We're going to move on to uh, tw uh, section 12, board and student liaison comments. Um, we, uh, we're going to start with our student rep, uh, Mr. Lewin, and you go ahead and, with your student up report. Mr. Lewin, do you mind uh, microphone just so everyone can hear? So our winter sports, girls and boys basketball, swim and dive, winter cheer, and gymnastics have all been Thank you, Mr. Lewin. Appreciate it. Yeah, and the uh, I think we filled up the Trex plastic recycling. My son and I did uh, multiple times last year, so it's a great, great opportunity for everyone. Hopefully, we can get that uh, advertised. So, thank you. Uh, typically, we go through each board member at this point, and we talk about the different updates of the boards or committees that we uh, joined. Um, there were none in the last uh, few uh, weeks. Um, so, what we're going to hear from is Vice Chair Tice about some of the changes and some of the uh, approach we're going to do for the upcoming uh, two-year cycle. Great. Thank you, uh, Chair Gould. I know that those sitting up here uh, are aware of this already, but I just for the uh, awareness of the public at our November school board retreat, which included the outgoing school board members and the incoming school board members, we had a really productive conversation about um, some changes we might make or we wanted to make 
for our advisory committees. And in an effort to sort of create more bandwidth and have more um, potential for the school board member liaisons to dig a little deeper into the advisory committees that report directly to us on policy, we um, have proposed some changes. So we are going to um, take the liaisons for our SAOs, our three PTA, PTSAs, and our three boosters, Coral, Athletic, and Band, and uh, we'll have a liaison for boosters and a liaison for um, the PTAs that is more on a consultation basis. So the, they will still, they'll be a member of the school board that will work towards uh, making, maintaining it, um, a connection with each organization and providing updates and being a point of contact, but might not necessarily be attending all meetings. Uh, similarly, for the Chamber of Commerce, we already have a Falls Church employee attend those meetings, so this, we didn't think it was um, as necessary for a school board member to attend, but we will still uh, maintain a point of contact and then um, Similarly with the library, uh, scaling back the attendance at meetings, but trying to scale up um, any efforts that we can make to help connect uh, the, li the public library and our school libraries. Uh, I also think we discussed, and I'm looking forward to furthering the conversation throughout the spring. Um, I would love to see us revisit policy 5.12, which governs our our committees, it hasn't been updated since 2015. I know the list is a mile long of policies we still need to update, but I'm hoping we can bump that closer to the top as we start talking about how we want to um, fine tune some of the work that our committees are doing. We started, I think two years ago, we started the great, uh, the orientation that we do for our chairs and in August, getting uh, everybody onboarded onto the committees. And that has been super successful, but I'd love to see us continue that conversation this spring to make sure if there are any other changes that, um, that we as a board want to make that those are implemented. Um, again, also with the policy work um, in advance of the orientation as we kind of off, off board some people this spring and we look towards starting the committees back up again in the fall. Thank you, Vice Chair Tice. Um, any questions about the updates that Vice Chair Tice just outlined? Oh, I should mention just for anybody listening that um, the committee, the new assignments for committees have been uh, assigned and throughout January we'll be transitioning to uh, the new members and we'll vote on them at our February meeting to make them official. Great, thank you. And it turns out we actually had a, uh, a go-getter of a school board member attend a committee meeting last night. Uh, so Dr. Anderson, can you please provide an update on DCAB? And so the daycare advisory board uh, committee uh, met last night um, and they uh, we're basically just reporting on how well the uh, winter winter break camp uh, went, uh, and uh, Katie Clinton, uh, the uh, director of uh, daycare, uh, is also uh, in the beginning phases of working on a plan for uh, a half day Wednesday uh, program and looking at how how she can best serve those students as in addition to all the other students. Um, and they were also looking at uh, large enrollment uh, for the summer daycare and trying to kind of think about how best uh, that that program can serve those who it was originally for, which is for working parents. Um, and uh, that kind of sums it up. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. All right, I assume that no one else attended any other committee meetings, okay. All right, thank you. All right, um, our next item on the agenda is item 13.01, approval of minutes. Um, there are no minutes to approve, so we will uh, move on to our next item, 14.01, uh, materials for board review, specifically FCCPS enrollment information. 
Um, and typically with this section, uh, this is for the, um, the public and the school board. Um, but I, do we have any questions or comments about this section? Okay, seeing none. All right, so this concludes our open meeting. The school board now will move into a second closed meeting, which is item 15.01, and I'd welcome a motion. Dr. Anderson. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose, to discuss or consider the identified subject matter. Legal matters under section 2.2-3711A8, in particular consultation with legal counsel employed or retained by the public body regarding specific legal matters requiring the provision of legal advice by such counsel. Great, thank you Dr. Anderson, is there a second? Ms. Murphy? Uh, all those in favor say yes. 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 Any opposed? All right, thank you, the motion passes. All right, so now we'll move to item 15.02, uh, their second closed meeting. And this will be it. This will be hour. it. So for the public watching, we're going to go ahead and move to a closed. And when we uh, reopen, um, we will not be coming back to this, these chambers. So thank you very much.